Well, this this is a, a talk I give sometimes on uh, privacy, and you know people are really freaked out about privacy. And in 1995, as the internet came about, I had made a statement that said, as of now, in 1995, privacy is over. There is the World Wide Web. There there is web traffic. Everyone will track every move that you make. And as we get devices with GPS, every move is being tracked. You really can't turn it off. Don't ask me how I know that. Just trust me. Every move is being tracked. So get past it. You gave up your privacy in 95 and we got lots of free services for it. And as long as you're not out doing bad things, I don't think anyone's going to care. It's to some extent to your benefit. And certainly the government, I always like to say, people say, but the government could listen to your phone calls. Trust me, if the government listened to my phone call, they're going to hang up in one minute saying it's the most boring person I've ever heard. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to tell you about today's show sponsor, Carta. Carta simplifies how startups manage equity, track cap tables, and get valuations. Go to carta.com slash syndicate to get 10% off and learn more about how they can help you with managing your complicated cap table and keeping investors happy. Hey, I wanted to take a quick time out to tell you about a little project I've been working on. I've been working on a sci-fi novel focused on the future of humanity and what happens when we get deeper and deeper into genetic engineering and cybernetic enhancements. It's something that I've been working on. It's a bit of a passion project, and I haven't wanted to tell you guys about it yet because it's one of those things where you never really know if you're going to publish it. Well, now I'm getting so far along in the novel and really starting to love the direction that it's going. I wanted to get some feedback from some of you guys. So if you're interested in checking out the beta version, so to speak, of the novel, you can get the first five five chapters for free if you go to disruptors.fm slash book. Just add your email address. I need your hard, honest feedback on the book and how you like it, if you like it, and what, if anything, I could do to improve it. That's the only way that authors and writers and thinkers like myself can try to improve what we're working on and make it more interesting and exciting for the public. So if you guys are interested in this, check out the book. You can go to disruptors.fm slash book. Enter your email address. You'll get the first five chapters emailed to you. It's much further along than that, but I want to just send you the first five chapters so that you don't get overwhelmed and you can provide me a little bit of feedback. And if you like the book, you'll be on the first access list for when it goes live. There may be some bonus beta coupons as well that get handed out for people that help with making the book uh, a better, more awesome experience. So if that's something that you're interested in looking into, the future of humanity and what happens when genetic engineering goes vastly awry, then disruptors.fm book. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your help on this. This is something that I'm pretty passionate about. It's pretty personal and not sure how it's going to turn out yet. Disruptors.fm book. And now back to our episode. Quick time out. Do you exercise or want the best from your brain and body on a daily basis? I know I do. And if you do, you should check out Onnit's top performance line of brain and body enhancing, keto, paleo, and pretty much everything friendly supplements like Alpha Brain, MCT Oil, and Total Human. Prefer a solid grass-fed whey? or a double caffeinated drip to go hard? What about a powerhouse set of probiotics? They got it all and the science to back up their formulations. Plus, you can get a 10% off offer just for listeners by going to disruptors.fm slash onnit with two N's, O-N-N-I-T, and using coupon code disruptors at checkout. Again, that's disruptors.fm slash onnit, O-N-N-I-T, and using disruptors at checkout. They have everything that elite performers need, mentally and physically, to be at the best. Are you looking to grow yourself and your bottom line in the process? Do you need help scaling, growth hacking, and marketing, or with fundraising and introductions? If you want to 10x your business and build towards a sustainable future, be that a startup or a Fortune 500 company, I love helping businesses change the world for the better. I've been a founder, built startups and seven-figure businesses, coached and advised dozens and more, and learned my passion and purpose is pushing entrepreneurs to succeed. If you're a winner, aiming big, willing to go hard, and interested in potentially working together to up-level yourself and your business, I'd love to chat. mattward.io slash coaching for more details. And now let's get on with the episode. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds, share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Close your eyes. You fly by cars down the freeway. Left, right. The turn signal on. Your eyes are still closed. You're riding an autonomous vehicle. You've put your life in a machine's hands. We're moving towards that future faster and faster than ever. I haven't done it. I'm terrified of it. And I haven't had the opportunity to either. But in the future, this will become commonplace. 
And we're going to be diving into autonomous vehicles and much, much more in today's episode. Today, we've got Kevin Sarais on the program. He's a futurist, disruptive innovation speaker, creator of the first smartphone digital assistant, and all-around innovative entrepreneur. He was named Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year and CNBC's Innovator of the Decade, and has been inducted into RIT's Innovation Hall of Fame. His company developed soundproof drywall to lower carbon footprint and create more energy-efficient windows and completely retrofit the entire Empire State Building and the New York Stock Exchange in record time and under budget. And now he's turned his attention back to AI as the CEO of AppVance.ai, disrupting the software testing industry. He's been featured in Business Week, Times, Fortune, Forbes, all the good ones, given hundreds of keynote talks, presented to Congress, and even been awarded 28 patents. He's a fun, smart guy, and this is a fun and interesting conversation where we'll talk about how artificial intelligence will actually impact work, the earliest forms of digital assistance and why they weren't entirely successful, where we're headed with respect to climate change, and why reducing emissions is only half the problem, the reason we're both worried about social media and political polarization, who owns the autonomous vehicles of the future and which companies win the autonomy race, and why you might have a robotic chef soon in your kitchen. This one's one that ranges the entire gamut of technology, future, and societal topics. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Kevin's a real smart guy. And we get into a lot of interesting and thought-provoking topics. If you guys enjoy this, consider sharing this with a friend. You can tweet about us, post on Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit. Whatever you do to help share the word about the disruptors is incredibly important for us. Think about the number of times that you see something stupid shared on Facebook. How much fake news have you seen that has hundreds or thousands of shares, posts, likes? That's people just mindlessly sharing garbage. If you want to change the way that people think about and share important information, consider sharing this. Disruptors.fm. You can find all the relevant stuff there. And please consider taking the time to share this and help someone else around you, help change the world around you in just a little bit more of a beneficial, impactful way. Think about the results of your actions. Disruptors.fm. If you want to support us, disruptors.fm slash Patreon. Your support is incredibly appreciated and helps us make this more sustainable and long-term in the process. And now without further ado, I give you Kevin Serace. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So there's a lot I want to jump into, but first, general magic and voice assistance. I, I heard I should start there, so I feel like there's a story. Boy, there is a story. Well, back in the late 1990s, General Magic, very, very famous company. In fact, uh, a movie just came out, a documentary. It's won a number of awards on all the technologies that came out of General Magic. Well, General Magic was spun out of Apple Computer in the early 90s. And the idea uh, was to come up with a new handheld and a network. The problem was, this is before I got there, is that the handheld technology really couldn't deliver what people wanted. People wanted this. They wanted something the size of an iPhone. And what they got was substantially larger with a black and white screen, and it was painful. And uh, they wanted the internet, but of course, the internet wasn't ubiquitous, certainly pre-1995. There weren't browsers or anything. So, so they got a custom network from AT&T and, the, and, and these large devices, and that, that didn't fly. When I arrived at General Magic, we shed that, but we, we had learned so much about the way humans interact with these devices that we decided to do the first digital assistant, first AI digital assistant. Her name was Portico. Actually, her name was Mary, the person, and people called her Mary. The service was Portico. And we had some three or four million people all up on that service because we provided the service to Excite. We provided it to the Quest. We provided it to many, many of uh, Bell South many other of the uh, of the bells at the time. So we invented all of that. Um, I guess I've got probably a few dozen patents, maybe a couple dozen patents in that area or so. And it was really the first assistant very much like what Siri is today. In fact, Apple and others have licensed those patents over the years to be able to deliver voice user interface today. And let's be honest, Siri kind of came out and then they didn't touch anything. It's like they gave up the massive lead that they had. You know what? Um, it's very interesting. They bought a company and then a lot of those that, that was doing Siri and then a lot of those people left and then Apple did the proper licenses of the patents they needed to do. And then they kind of let it dwindle for a while. And of late, just lately, they seem to be getting better. But you know, people swear by what Microsoft has done and what Google has done. And I think this is an area that Apple could certainly improve in. Is it too little too late? Is the data network effect enough that Apple's going to fall behind and Amazon or Google ultimately win? Well, well, here's the thing. There's two areas that people want. They want what's called rec recognition, right? You want high rec rates. And 
like 97, 98, 99%. So that's the first thing people want. Even in the late 90s, we had 94 to 95%, but, but we played some tricks to get there. So we would put some people in, we'd put you in an email domain and get you saying things mostly about email. So that allowed us to say, well, they're probably talking about email in this statement, right? That's how we kept our rec rates up. Today, you, you want to have broad recognition. That's harder. Amazon's done an amazing job with Alexa. Given the noise in a room, how far you are away from that speaker, it is absolutely amazing how good the rec rates are. They're very, very good. So one is rec rates. And the other thing that makes people happy is the feature set. And we all get frustrated when we say, I, I said it yesterday, I said, uh, Siri, how many steps did I walk today? Oh, I can't do that function. Now I'm thinking it comes with something called health. Siri can certainly look in the health app database, which is stored on the phone and answer how many steps I did. It was incapable of doing so. Now that's just dumb. <laughs> it's like, how can you miss the simplest feature of things that would be there, right? So I, I, think, I think, look, all of these companies got to expand the feature set because you would expect a real assistant to execute on that question and continue to improve the rec rate. So when it gets down to database, which is your question, that improves rec rates because you take all of that in and, and, and you feed it to a model that continues to learn. And they're all based on AI today. And so Apple may be behind in that, but I don't think people complain as much about rec rates as they do about features that just aren't there. I don't know. I have a, we have friends and they have a three-year-old. So this, this is a funny and very relevant story. And the three-year-old was talking to his mom and they were at uh they were at the museum and he was asking about one of the planets, I think Neptune or whatever. And he asked his mom, is this a planet? And she said, yes, honey, this is a planet. And he said, no, no, this isn't a planet, mom. She said, no, no, this is a planet. And he said, no, no, it's not. And she said, why don't you, why don't you believe me? And he said, well, daddy said it's not a planet. And she said, so you trust daddy and not mommy? And he said, yeah, because when I asked you about dinosaurs, you didn't know what this dinosaur was called and you got it wrong, but daddy got it right. And I think people have that same aspect when it comes to working with a voice assistant. If I say, oh, what's the weather like in Boston? And a Siri or Alexa comes back and says, well, the weather in Brooklyn is just beautiful today. <laughs> I think I think the frustration aspect, how close, how far, basically what I'm asking is how far and how good do we have to be before people are really willing to adopt this sure. and it's not so frustrating? Really, really uh, great question. It turns out that We've been trained our whole lives that people in general, within our country, within our language, understand 99.9% .9 of the things we say. Well, we say them in context is one of the things that helps. So these things can't always understand context, right? So like you and I are on a blog program, a radio program, podcast program right now that has a certain context to it. You wouldn't expect me to all of a sudden say, you know, my grandmother is driving a car and she hit a telephone pole right now. You go, where did that come from? It's out of context. You probably understand the words, but you'd realize somehow I jumped context. And, and that's that we don't do a lot of that as humans. So we have visual context that, that we're using also. We can also see people's lips. All these things work for us, right? They kind of work against a microphone that has to, you know, 3,000 miles away, understand what it was you said out of context, which is absolutely a fascinating and hard problem to solve. But, but we as humans expect it because all we know is generally that. Now, if you think about it, especially younger, well, even now, when we get on the phone and the phone connection isn't that good, you know, sometimes we ask people to repeat themselves because it was garbled, it was over, uh, it was too hot, it was too cold, whatever, right? So the audio is not always good on a phone. And we know that the person sometimes can't understand us. And we ask them, hey, could you repeat yourself? This happens in business all the time. I'm on a call overseas. I say, could you repeat yourself? It dropped out. I couldn't understand you, et cetera. But we don't give that same um, ability, <laughs> you know, to these voice assistants. We just expect them to be perfect. So the bar is really, really, really high. And it may be another decade before we reach almost that level of perfection where they can understand out of context, whatever it was you said, as if I just said, I would like some cheese right now. And you look at me and go, we're in an interview here. <laughs> What's cheese got to do with it? Right. Is it is it because we expect more from the robots or is it because we've gone through the Bank of America 
please say your number. Oh, did right. you mean six or seven? Or is it right. just the frustration aspect? I actually think it's that. Well, so there was a great book written on this by Reeves and Ness at Stanford many years ago. Uh, Clifford Ness sadly died a few years ago, but I worked with them on our uh, virtual assistant back in the 90s. And uh, basically they said that it was called the media equation is the book. But in working with students, thousands of students going through kind of a, a, a program to analyze how they interact with media, it turns out that very quickly students' expectations of computers, of virtual assistants, or anything else is to be equal to that of a human, just immediately, because we grew up basically interacting with humans. So I'm not interacting with my computer right now, I'm interacting with you, because I can see you on the screen, you can see me on the screen, so we might as well be in the same room, basically. We know how this interaction works. We've got you know decades of experience making the interaction work. So how they tested this is they brought guys in a room to a pink computer, literally kind of dressed in pink, that was named Sarah. And um, they interacted with Sarah and they had to talk about dating experiences. And later they brought different guys in a room and they had to interact with Bruce that was dressed as a male computer. But it's a computer, right? It's just a screen you're typing, doesn't talk to you. And of course, what they found is that the students, student males, they were both males in both ends, who were talking to the female computer about dating and dating experiences, talked completely different to that computer and used different language than they did to the male computer. But, but stop, there is no male and female computer. The whole concept is, and clearly these are Stanford students. They know that the computer does not have gender right or genitalia it doesn't work that way so why would you speak differently to a female computer versus a male computer when there's no female or male computer because we're programmed that does her scare you have you seen the movie i, I love the movie I totally love the movie and the other one is uh, ex machina ex machina might be a little scary did you see that yeah i've seen both i think they're both scary but i think i think the her aspect might be easier to happen more quickly that exactly. people already kind of fall in love with social media. The, 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 it seems pretty easy to, to gamify. With Mary at Portico, one of the things we learned, and I'm sure this is happening at Apple and other places, is people immediately asked Mary to marry them because they developed an interaction with Mary, their personal assistant, and said, would you marry me? Or I'm in love with you. And we had all kinds of statements that would come back, just as Siri does. Hey, Siri, I'm in love with you. Oh, I can't do that function or something like that, she says. Oh, by the way, as you can see, because it heard, hey, Siri, it actually put this. It's still it's still typing. That's great. Stop, Siri. Stop. However you stop the thing. Okay. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's also crazy that we let these devices in that are always listening. That freaks me out a little bit. Well, this, this is a, a talk I give sometimes on uh, privacy and, you know, people are really freaked out about privacy. And in 1995, as the internet came about, I had made a statement that said, as of now in 1995, privacy is over. There is the World Wide Web. There, there is web traffic. Everyone will track every move that you make. And as we get devices with GPS, every move is being tracked. You really can't turn it off. Don't ask me how I know that. Just trust me. Every move is being tracked. So get past it. You gave up your privacy in 95 and we got lots of free services for it. And as long as you're not out doing bad things, I don't think anyone's going to care. It's to some extent to your benefit. And certainly the government, I always like to say, people say, but the government could listen to your phone calls. Trust me, if the government listened to my phone call, they're going to hang up in one minute saying it's the most boring person I've ever heard. See, that's a slippery slope, though, because then the U.S. has our social, has China's social credit system in how many years? The, the government has had the ability to listen to any of our phone calls for a very long time. So, yeah, sure. Yes, I, I, the social credit system is really spooky, for sure. That is really... Do you think we're headed there? There was a really... Uh, do you watch uh, Black Mirror? I watched some, yeah. but it's just, I, I feel like you can get the same aspects of sci-fi without the, the sad dystopian wanting to kill yourself <laughs> aspects of it. So Black Mirror is kind of like that, right? But there was an episode that um, had an entire society that was ranked on your social ranking. And did people like what you're saying or dislike what you're saying? Did you get more stars and less stars? And it was crazy. Like it, 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 it said basically, you know, could you enter a store even? Could you go to this restaurant based on your social? ranking. Look, uh, China's a communist country. Don't don't forget that. And they can run that country any way they want to. I think ranking people socially is going to happen in some countries like China. I think that is very scary. That is definitely 1984, except it's going to be 2024 or something. And um, I don't want to be ranked on my social sort of ranking because there are things I say that people may not like. But I said them because I really felt that they needed to be said. And they cause big arguments. 
you know, all you got to do is bring up politics in the U.S. And, you know, 50 percent of the people hate you no matter what you said. So it's a it's a fascinating time. It's definitely a fascinating time. It's uh, it's troubling in a lot of ways in politics. We'll we'll avoid that for now. We've already got we've already got enough of a shit a shit storm there. So I I know I know one of your one of your previous companies. You were basically trying to save the world by making construction less terrible for the environment. Yes. And I, I want to dive into that a little bit. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about Eco Rock, what you guys did, and why it mattered. Well, we can talk about a lot of products. Let me talk about the company first. The company. Let's talk about the company. Yeah. yeah, Serious Materials. And, and Serious Materials made a number of products, but had some 70,000 projects. But the biggest ones would be the Empire State Building, the complete retrofit of that, the retrofit of the New York Stock Exchange. So we made windows uh, that save tremendous energy, just tremendous, four or five times what dual pane windows save. Um, the Empire State Building was, was able to get their money back on new windows in three years on heating and cooling costs. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, and this bears true project after project after project. We had uh, six plants. We had uh, some 500 people. And um, we also made drywall products and insulation products and software that managed buildings. So a little bit about buildings. Buildings all up the built environment, including the manufacturing of building materials, the delivery of those, the building of buildings, and then the operating of buildings on an annual basis is about 52% of all CO2. Absolutely fascinating. And people don't realize that, that that's the, that, that, that's the situation. Because we think of cars and uh, car, all the transportation is around 19%, cars are around 9%. And the reason we don't think about buildings is because they don't have a smokestack on them, because the smokestack is you know 20 miles away at a coal plant somewhere or a natural gas plant or something, right? But, but we do heat and cool our buildings and light our buildings. And there is a plant somewhere generating tremendous CO2 to allow us to do that. And we have to make our building materials. And there's plants somewhere that let us do that. So the net result is, you know, arguably, it's the number one CO2 generator. And it's the easiest one to deal with, with just energy efficiency in making of the materials, using the materials, heating and cooling the buildings. And, and what's great about it is you save money. So it's one of the best things you could do. You don't have to spend money. You save money to do it. So we had a, a, a premise. This was true. We built a, a, a big and successful company. We ended up selling that company to three new companies. And all of those companies make these products today. You can buy the windows from Alpen Windows. You can uh, get the, the software that manages commercial buildings anyway from Ingersoll Rand Train. And there are drywall products called Choir Rock and some others uh, from um, Pabco. And there are all of those products available nationwide. But, you know, these were very high R-value windows. R-value meaning the resistance to heat flow. So very successful. We were very excited. We would have been much more successful had um, had Solyndra, which was a solar company, not not gone bankrupt and and kind of spoiled the public markets for a few years for anything to do with clean tech. So that really led us to sell the company rather than take it public. How long till we get to an elf like society from from Tolkien where we are net zero and we're kind of living it a bit more mm-hmm. in touch with the environment, so to speak? Well, you know, sadly, all of climate change has become a political topic, which is a horrible thing because it's not a political topic. It's just science. And I and this is an example of something I would say. I would I will would do say and would say everybody get past themselves. I understand the politics has to do with taxation of carbon and all of these things, and it hurts farmers and it hurts oil producers. I understand that. However, the fact is, the fact is very clear. We generate CO2 and methane. It creates a blanket around the earth. It heats up the earth. We know this. We've known it for 50 plus years. The data is not an arguable anymore. It's a knowable. Truly is. So, and that will anger half the people who think it's a political issue. It's just science, guys. Get past the science. Now, what do we do about it can be a political issue. But the fact that the science is, is the science is. So what do we do about that? We want to live in net zero world, so to speak. We can build net zero homes today. They're not terribly expensive to build. You do get your money back on them. We can build net zero buildings. You know how to do that. Costs a little more for commercial. That's doable. We can uh, um, we can eventually abandon our gasoline cars. That's that has to go. We have to abandon things like regular cement because cement generates uh, four, five, six percent of the world CO two. Just the making of cement. It's a very uh, uh, CO2 intensive process, process, energy intensive process. So there are a lot of things we can do to drive that down. Now, the truth is, since people signed or didn't sign the Paris Accord and then re-upped just last week and this week, maybe last week, uh, saying they're going to meet their commitments. The truth is no country has ever met any of their commitments on any of those accords because it turns out it's incredibly hard to do. And any government, I, I know the U.S. has pulled out of the Paris Accord, and that's terrible. But the fact of the matter is any government can only have very limited impact 
I want you to as a consumer and and commercial enterprises to. And until it is financially viable to do these things, like solar is now really financially viable, it's cheaper, in general, cheaper than electricity you can buy from your power company. Well, that's kind of when solar really took off. We waited 50 years for it to take off. Forget government subsidies, just took off when it was a financially viable model. That is the, you know, the cost really drove uh, that adoption. The same is true with electric vehicles. You know, those are still all up a little more expensive than a gasoline car and blah, blah, blah. But for driverless vehicles, they're not. Now, why? Well, because a driverless vehicle as a transportation mechanism for you, that's something that you just get in, you don't own, will run like a taxi 110,000 miles a year. At 110,000 miles a year, an EV is far cheaper than a gasoline vehicle. But at 10,000 miles a year, which I put on as a personal owner, a gasoline vehicle is cheaper than an electric vehicle, all up over the course of five years. So we will go electric. And the, the oil companies know this, and the car companies have recognized this. We will go electric because we're going to be drive, a driverless transportation services society five years from now, eight years from now. And as that happens, you know, we need 92% less cars, and uh, we need you know, mostly electric vehicles. There's, there's almost no reason for a gasoline. So there's two things. There's when something becomes financially viable or better. And then there's also the alternative of when something becomes financially untenable. For instance, if governments were to have some type of carbon tax sure. to, to also create the incentive that wasn't quite ready to, to run with itself. Okay. And there have been some carbon taxes of, you know, 15 or $20 or this or that. But if you it's look at miserably, well, miserably, if you look at the real cost of the environment, I've seen some calculations that say it needs to be about $500 <laughs> per metric ton. Well, you'll just, no government's ever going to get that through. In fact, it probably collapse their society because society's GDP is tied to energy use and growth, uh, energy growth, growth and energy usage thing. So um, this is a serious issue. And so no one wants to do it. Everyone talks a good game in Paris or wherever, and then they can't do it as a government. We just have to continue to drive those costs down. Now, the question is, what happens to the climate? To the climate? I think we are destined for five or six or seven degrees. Celsius uh, or Fahrenheit? Celsius. Uh, Celsius. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, those, those look like the numbers today. You know, we're already at uh, two degrees Fahrenheit or so, and, and that means two Celsius is on its way. But, I, you know, the numbers are pretty clear by the end of the century. If we continue to burn at the rate we're burning, and by the way, we're putting more CO2 and methane into the atmosphere every year today than we did the year before than we did the year before across the globe. That's been going up. As much as we've signed every accord, it's gone up, not down. And you go, well, why is that? Well, because no one in Europe met met their deal. China didn't meet their deal. India certainly didn't meet their deal and doesn't even want to. And the US didn't meet their deal. So it's going up. We're, we're kind of humans kidding ourselves. We sign these things. It's like Easter Island. We sign, we sign an agreement to not cut down the trees. Then we go out and cut down all the trees. It's what we do. It's the, we tragedy, do. It's the tragedy of the commons. Yes, it really is. And humans have done this throughout human history, and we will do it again. I, I had an, as, well, 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 we'll run out of oil before we burn it all, probably. I had, uh, I had a statement maybe 10 years ago that said, no matter what we sign, humans somewhere on the planet will find the last drop of oil and burn it and put it in the atmosphere. And they go, that's horrible. How could you say that? Well, because that's what humans have always done. We take the last of a resource, burn it, and wreck it. It's what we do. I'm sorry to be negative about humanity. It's just we, we have thousands of years of doing the same thing. I don't know why we're going to change this year. Is there's a there's a Dan Brown book, and I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Mm-hmm. So in in the book, he basically brings up there, there's a billionaire uh, biotech genius, and it brings up the paradox of by the year it was like twenty two uh, two hundred and twenty two hundred or twenty one hundred, sure. yeah. basically looking at the population and saying mm-hmm. if we see that we're going to reach this population <laughs> where the planet will destroy itself, we won't be able to support it, and humanity goes to zero. But if you had the ability to kill half of humanity today they would survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Would you do that? Or would you let it go on and ultimately die off? Well, I wouldn't do it on my watch because I don't think I could live with the fact that- Well, you'd want, you'd want someone else to do it? I know that's a hard question. It's an evil question. But it is true that our actual number one problem is population growth. Because in fact, if we only had a billion people, not seven, going to 10, if we only had a billion and still we're generating the per capita CO2 that we do, we'd have a seventh of the problem we do today. Just what it be. And maybe we'd hit one degree centigrade Celsius or one and a half or something, right? So the fact is at the core of the problem is population growth. And right behind that is that all that population wants to do what? They want to live a middle-class life. You know, all of India, I mean, hundreds of millions of, well, billions of people, but 
they're talking about adding two to 300 million air conditioners in the next decade. It's the biggest market for air conditioner growth. Why? It's hot there and they want to live like the US does. You can't add 300 million air conditioners. It's the, it's the, it'll disrupt the climate worse than anything you can think of, but they're likely to do it because consumer demand is what it is. And they want to get cool and it's 110 degrees Fahrenheit there. They want to live at 70. And why should we take that from them? But there's whatever, 1.6 billion people in India. I might be off a little bit, something like that. That's not going to end well. I mean, in fact, that you know that country really can't support 1.6 billion people, and it's growing dramatically. They can't support 300 million air conditioners, and 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 they don't have the GDP for it. The, the environment can't support it. And this isn't picking on any one country. We can look at China. We can look at the U.S. who started this. We can look at Europe. It is true. If if somehow the population got paired to one billion, we'd be okay for another 100 or 200 years. It's funny. I'm actually working on a novel now, and that accidentally happens just due to genetic editing experiments gone awry, which I think is certainly a possibility. All we have to say is CRISPR, and uh, it can end badly. Very and, it, and it can end badly. Yet there is also there is also a lot of positivity coming. So what, in terms of what you've worked on, what are you the most excited or positive about these days? Well, look, every technology has a positive and negative, right? Um, AI is the biggest thing that we will see in our lifetimes to really, really impact humanity. It is not going to come as fast as people think, and there will not be general AI in any of our lifetimes for anyone listening to this podcast. Well, listening to it in the year it was done, you might listen to it in the year 2100. General AI means basically, you know, general intelligence like you and I have, uh, and, and that we can apply that general intelligence across domains. It's very very fascinating. It's very hard to do, but it's not hard for humans to do. You know, I can pick up this soda can and it's a LaCroix. It's not really soda, it's LaCroix and it's very popular and blah, blah, blah. And I can see a different can of a different size that has beer in it at a store. And I can instantly say, oh, it's a can. I know how to open it. It has something different in it. In other words, I can I can apply that the, the knowledge of this can from one domain to another instantly. Um, humans do that. We can see a device to sit on that looks like no chair we've ever seen. And we go, it's clearly in a place I should sit on it. It must be meant for sitting, even though it's some kind of designer thing. So we can we can cross domains very, very quickly. And, and AI doesn't do that. AI simply learns on a set of data that we've already given it. And, and it can continue to learn, right? You can continue to teach it to learn, uh, teach it to learn. You continue to teach it, you continue to teach it is a better way to say it. But it, it just doesn't have the kind of sense that humans uh, naturally have. And we're trying to figure that out. It also doesn't have EQ. We can fake it, obviously, but it doesn't have any true emotion, true attachment. Uh, it's not sentient. It doesn't really know it's alive because, in fact, it isn't alive in the first place. So there's so much missing from our knowledge of how humans develop this really, um, all these senses that we've developed. And, uh, you know, the, the talk is somewhere between 2100 and 2200, we will have general AI. So we're not going to see that. But what we do see is AI working in specific domains. Speech recognition, it's fantastic. Speech translation, language translation, fantastic. So we're going to find very specific things. Customer support. I can train it on what our customer support does for months and create a digital customer support agent that will be wicked good, but only as good as the things it trained on. Anything it never heard before, it's going to stop dead, right? It says, I don't know, I will pass you to a human. But on the things it trained on, brilliant. It can't think outside that box. They don't do that. Just only knows the things it trained on. So that's the that's the most important thing I'd say about, about AI right now. What happens is we have more AI. I see increasing automation, but I think increasing automation potentially leads to increasing consumption, which we just discussed is completely untenable. Well, increasing automation is, you know, we, we're going to see automation in areas we didn't see. We've had automation in plants for 20 or 30 or 40 years. More of that's going to happen, manufacturing plants, right? We're going to see automation across other fields like QA for software, um, one of the things I'm involved in, like sales, like customer support, like insurance claims processing. These are all repetitive tasks and they're the easiest to automate with a whole field called business process automation. So BPA is a, is a, is a really big deal now and it is uh, really uh, automating tasks we thought heretofore could not be automated. That's going to change our lives. It means that us as humans have to kind of up our game because we're going to be employed in other areas, but we're not going to be doing the repetitive tasks. It's, 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 and by the way, it's not a good use of humans to do that, to do it if you think about it. So what's great is we'll have more, I think we're going to have more opportunities. So if I gave you the list of 146 jobs that have been identified that are new jobs that have never existed before, 
all of a sudden you see, you know, drone operators, you know, you need people that program the drone, send it in the right place, get it back, check it. I mean, this whole field that has just opened up in the last two years or so, meaning commercial drones, is really fascinating. And there could be hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people employed worldwide just operating drones, which is a fantastic field. Didn't exist before. Transitionists. How do we transition people, which will be millions of people from their desk job of processing insurance claims to some other role, managing the technology that does process the claims, backing that up, uh, doing data research, whatever it is. We have to transition them from one role to another. And you need to uh, transition them not only skill-wise, but psychologically. So there'll be hundreds of thousands of transitionists that are something like a cross between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a trainer, right? So anyway, there are going to be so many new jobs, but they're different than the ones we have. They are, and that you've talked about the tyranny of jobs before and uh, the future of a renaissance. Well, there is this sort of utopian future that relieves us of doing work. It's a great question for you and your listeners, which is, why do we define ourselves so much by our work? You know, hi, Matt, what do you do? I have a podcast. Okay, Kevin, what do you do? Well, I run technology companies, whatever it is. Why are we even defined by that? And it goes, I give this example, it goes all the way back to Jesus' time when, you know, we refer to Jesus' father as Joseph the Carpenter. We're not sure who what his last name is, but we know he was a carpenter. This we have down. I'm not sure he wanted to be known as a carpenter. Maybe he wanted to be known as a good man or a good father or something else, right? So we have so identified with our careers. And if you think about that, that's kind of wrong. It's it, Work is work. In fact, we do work to put food on our table. It's Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. And people who are I'm making it up, you know, born with a billion dollars in the bank because it was gifted to them by their parents may or may not work. They certainly don't think about work in the way we think about it. They could do it if they want to, but they don't have to. So if you didn't have to work because the GDP was rising because of automation, and maybe you only work 10 hours a week or five hours a week, much shorter than a 40, 50, 60 hour work week, you know, what would humanity look like? Well, humanity might look like people would have much more ability to think, to ponder, to care, to love. To Netflix. To Netflix, to invent, whatever. I mean, could be anything, right? Maybe they just sit there and binge watch every Netflix show, all 222 new shows they've had in the last decade. Who knows? But but it would change what you have to do. Today, we have to go to work, whatever that means. But most people around the world get up and either go to school or go to work. Say we didn't have to do that. It's a fascinating question. It's a fascinating question. Do you think it's one we're equipped to handle? <laughs> well, not yet. And, and, and you know, there's all, already you know a lot of talk of of uh, of basically people would just be paid to exist, some monetary value that that would be given from countries. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything to trade to eat, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, uh, the monetary system has to be rethought. Our our contribution to society has to be rethought. Because if you're paid to exist, would you could you be paid more to be killed? Sure. It, there's a hard ethical question. But if you think about it in terms of... Soylent green. Yeah, it's a... Uh, hmm. Soylent green. It's what they did. They paid you to become a cracker. I gave away the ending. I'm sorry if you haven't seen the movie. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen the movie. Okay. I gave away the ending. Nevertheless... Yeah, you were paid X amount of thousands of dollars if you would go and end your life early because of overpopulation. Is ethical, moral? I, I'm not making any judgment call. I'm just saying that it's been in a movie from the 60s. So this is not a new idea. They knew about overpopulation then in the 60s, saying we better deal with this. Here's one way societies might deal with it. You could make more choosing to die. You could plug into the Matrix as well and just get IV drips. You could plug into the Matrix, which is a, a great movie series. That was a great movie series as well. Maybe they were doing us a favor, trying to save the world, and it just failed. Yeah. So, uh, look, I do think AI is going to be terrific. I think um, transportation services is going to change the way we think about transport, uh, both on the ground and in the air. The uh, air vehicles I've seen, the flying taxis, they fly, they're beautiful, they don't crash, highly safe, they're driverless, can go up to 200 miles an hour, do so on a single charge. It's ridiculous. We're, you know, we are going to be in the air like the Jetsons. We're going to be on the ground with transport services. We are not going to own our transportation vehicle. Who owns it? What's the future of fleets? Oh, it's a service company. It might be Waymo, you know, spun out of Google uh, Alphabet. It could certainly be um, uh, Uber and Lyft. Uh, it could certainly be the car companies. GM wants to do it themselves. Ford wants to do it themselves. Again, people got to do something, right? If you're not going to make cars, then you say, well, we're re going to reinvent ourselves 
as a transport service and we'll make the cars for our own transport service. So um, I think they're going to have to vertically integrate the car companies or there, there won't be room for 22 car companies. There'll be room for three. And yeah, because no one will care about the brand. Well, no one will care about the brand and you won't buy your own car anyway. And you need 92% less cars. The reason is our cars are only used 8% of the time. Now, there's some overlap during uh, only during peak periods where you need, you know, 30% of the vehicles on the road or something, but only for about an hour and then it cuts down. So who knows? But you don't need 100% of the vehicles that we have made today because what's your car doing for you right now? Sitting in the garage? Mm-hmm. Gentleman mm-hmm. like a villain. I know we just had a, we just had one of the top ant researchers actually on the program and yeah. ants are lauded as the, the most effective. They get things done like nothing else without communication, really without any intelligence whatsoever. One thing I found fascinating though is at any given time, 50% of the ants are just sitting in the in the nest doing nothing. Yes. They're just waiting in case something happens. Mm-hmm. And that's what your car is doing, except the difference is you're actually paying for that car. Right now, every hour, the car is depreciating and there's some car payment and there's an insurance payment and there's, get you know, so you're actually paying for it to sit there. Oh, no, I meant in terms of once we have the fleets. Oh, so once you have the fleets, you won't pay. You'll only pay for it when you use it. You'll only pay for it when you use it, but we'll need more than we think we will just off the 8%. But I think uh, I think it'll be transformational, especially as we start to have better transit in cities. With these, these scooters are incredible. And what happens when transport goes to zero and it's the Amazon Prime ride? And you can get in up to 2,000 miles a year for free. It's part of your Prime membership. Free. Well, at that, po- at that point, Bezos owns everything. So we're, we're all in. He's, he's already definitely headed there. He's already headed there. But, but, but I think you will see Amazon Prime right. And I, w- I think you will see that in the next five, six, seven years. And, and it's not going to surprise people. Just be there. It'll be really fascinating. And you'll get in. You'll just call up an Amazon Prime ride. It'll take you to the restaurant. And you'll have to listen to some Amazon ads or do something in there, but they don't care, whatever. And because we can imagine a time where the actual cost of that vehicle is well under 30 cents a mile, maybe 20 cents a mile, maybe 15 cents a mile. And at those numbers, it can a large company on advertising model can afford to put you in that car. But then Google, Google will be the one who does it, not Amazon at that point. They both can gain. Maybe it's a Facebook car. Oh, God, no one wants Facebook anywhere near them. <laughs> <laughs> you trust Zuckerberg. That's just a terrible mistake. I wanted to take a quick time out to tell you guys about today's show sponsor, Carta. As a founder, investor, or startup employee, you know that most of the wealth in the tech industry, it comes from equity. It's not from salary. But how you manage equity, how we manage equity, it's broken. It can be complicated to figure out who owns how much of a startup and to share that important information and documents between companies and VCs. And for VCs to see how investments are performing real time, that's incredibly important for raising your next fund. Many investors and companies still use spreadsheets, paper certificates, and slow-moving service providers to keep that kind of information on hand and to share with prospective investors. These tools and services that are used to manage equity, they're dated, they're slow, and it's funny given that VCs and CEOs are the ones creating the future. Picarda fixes the cap table equity management problem. They offer cap table management, valuations, full-service fund administration, all in one platform. More than 600,000 employee shareholders from companies and VCs at firms like Slack, Coinbase, Flexport, August Capital, Founders Fund, all these guys and more, they use Carta to manage hundreds of billions of dollars in equity. To simplify how you manage equity, use Carta. Get 10% off today at carta.com syndicate. It'll help you with simplifying the cap table, which will make it easier for you to raise money as a startup and easier for investors to get on board. Carta.com syndicate. What are you the most worried about these days? Well, um, look, I think that social media, Facebook being a big part of it, right? Social media, because we built it on an ad model, uh, has created a feedback loop that, that is probably dangerous for society. So society's always had feedback loops. That is, we would move to a town of like people, but that feedback loop took a long time and it cycled around lots of people. So we might have people over for dinner, then we wouldn't see anyone for a week, then we saw people and brought our kids to school. And, you know, so the feedback loop just happened over a period, long period of time. And, and it had time to morph and think and be open. This feedback loop is incessantly dangerous. It's dangerous because uh, it's, it's doing what it's meant to do. It's meant to send me more of what I like and less of what I dislike. And within a short period of time, you know, uh, I don't, I would not get any Fox News in my, in my feed, of course. And someone else may get all Fox News in their feed. And that's fine, except it's now reinforcing your beliefs. What we never exactly had that before. Well, we lived in a neighborhood. It was similar. You had people at the table had different beliefs and whatever. But it's reinforcing them and making us go hard, 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 hard for the purpose of this conversation, right and left, hard, right and left. So far over. And in fact, it's not natural for 
certainly Americans, probably not natural for people to be hard left or hard right. Actually, most people up until five or six or seven years ago were kind of middle of the road, maybe a little right on on financial issues and a little left on social issues, whatever it was, but kind of middle of the road. And there were some fringes over here, but feedback loops force you to be more and more and more and more and more to one side or another because you just see, see and hear more and more of your stuff. And um, that is an extremely dangerous thing that had we charged, had Zuck charged $5 a month for Facebook, we would not have this problem because there'd be no feedback loop. You could opt out of any kind of feedback and you just get whatever your friends are saying, good, bad, or otherwise. But the feedback loop to keep you hooked on is all set on, let me send you more of what you click on and I'll send you more and more and, and the algorithms get better and better and better and there's no way out other than to quit. So Walt Mossberg, formerly of the Wall Street Journal, uh, announced yesterday that he's leaving Facebook. He's not suggesting other people do it. He's leaving it simply on a moral and ethical grounds. He just doesn't believe that this entire algorithmic system and one that sells access to what you like and dislike is, is uh, he doesn't think it's ethical and or nor good for society. He's just exiting himself. I'm not going to exit. That's not my thing. But I honor that he is. And I think when a Walt Mossberg announces that on Facebook and Twitter, I'm Zuckerberg and I'm going, I yeah, I should call him because this is, we got to do something about it. Anyway, the solution is just charge for the service and the ads go away and the, the and the feedback mechanisms go away. Just three bucks a month. Just charge for the service. It's all you got to do. You, you think that, but when people actually would think about buying this, I think most people would realize that Facebook is net shit for their lives and wouldn't buy it. I think their entire business model is flawed enough that it can't be altered. Well, Zuckerberg has said he would never charge for the service. I think that they should have an option to charge and they would get some people like I'd pay the five bucks a month, three to five bucks a month. But then you get the you'd get the best advertising clients as well. So then suddenly no one wants to advertise because you only have loser clients left. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like I wouldn't get ads because I'm paying the five dollars a month. Right. But, you know, CBS has done this. Other networks have done it, not social, but other networks have done it and said, you know, you can pay and eliminate the ads. Spotify, um, Pandora, all, all these do that. But there's not really a feedback mechanism like there is in Facebook, uh, Twitter and others. Facebook is, I mean, Facebook is doing what they're supposed to do. They built a model on advertising that is targeted at you and articles that are targeted at you. And they're brilliant at it. And they're so brilliant. They've warped the minds of humans across the globe, not I mean, not purposefully. These aren't bad people. Totally by accident. I think I don't. I don't think anyone. It's like a resonant frequency. Yes, it, it's just the feedback loop, and and it's. I am sure when Cheryl and and Mark and others look back at what they've done, they go, "This is not what we had intended. We just wanted to have a place that people could talk to their friends." But it. But it turns out you're going to see more if you're. A, you know, if you're a big Trump supporter, you're going to see more of your friends that are Trump supporters and less of the ones that aren't. And more and more and more and less and less and less and more of those articles and less of these articles. Before you know it, you only know one truth, whether it's true or not. It's the only truth you're being fed. So it's dangerous for society. That's my biggest concern. I don't think they're mean people. I don't think they're bad people. I think they created a model that humans can't adapt to. We cannot adapt to a fast feedback loop. It's not what we do. We need 100 years of feedback or 50 years of feedback, but not you know, intense feedback within an hour. Uh, same problem with the stock market. Same problem with the stock market. Yes. You can't that, think well, about the future. That is, uh, and there, there you've got a lot of uh, automatic trading and the automatic trading actually drives things way up and way down in these big swings and all kinds of other problems. But that doesn't bother, that, that settles itself out eventually because eventually people get involved and look and go, you know, that's a really good price on that stock. I'm just going to buy some, right? These things tend to even out. But people aren't doing that with Facebook. They're not stepping back and going, you know, I don't want to unfriend all my friends who are to the left or to the right. They're not doing that. What they're doing is unfriending their friends and then finally leaving Facebook. That doesn't help. Then they just go home and watch either Fox News or CNN or whatever it is. And now they figured out, I got to get this reinforcement other ways. No, no, we've, we're ruining humans because humans can't take this. I think the only way to use Facebook is to turn on a newsfeed blocker and use it for messages and images only, because that way you receive nothing from the, the feedback. Yeah. You only, you're only sending and receiving to the ones you actually care about. That's fair. I mean, I really want to use it because I want to see what's going on with my friends. That's why we all got on it. What's going on with long lost friends, you know, friends from high school, friends. I, I, I enjoy keeping up with them now uh, because we don't live in the same place. 
some people would say, what's the difference? You might not ever see them again, but I actually really enjoy it. And I enjoy those social interactions. That's why I want to be on there. But I try to stay away from anything that calls me back into, oh, you believe this or you believe that. I already know what I believe. I don't want to hear, I don't want to see any more of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very scary thing. You look at, I remember I was watching, I was on YouTube and I was watching, I don't remember what it, what it was. I, I want to say it was the guy that runs some um, skeptics guide or something similar. One of the, one of the essentially technology podcast that were looking at alternative theories of, of certain things. And right. two videos later, it, I was on, um, what's his name? The guy that just got kicked off of Twitter, the the douchebag with yeah. the Sandy Hook things. Right, it's like, wait, right. wait, a, wait a sec. How did I get that fed to me oh. of all people? Yeah. Somewhere and, in the algorithm, it says, you must see this. No, no. What it does is it gets slightly more extreme every time. Because right. if you walk into a shoe store and there's two options and they both look the same, you're not buying either one. There's one right. option or there's two very different options, then you can choose. Right. So it's a, it's a it's a scary, scary thing. So we've um we've talked about some scary, scary things yes. for a bit. What's the what's the most interesting thing you've seen in the last couple of days? Oh my, the most interesting thing I've seen in the last couple of days. Well, look. I can I continue to see uh, just because I follow it robotics moving forward in nice ways, more human ways, things that are going to help humanity take care of older people, for example, and listen to their stories. That's, that's a real problem, by the way. I mean, you know, in, in these kind of care homes where where they need to be uh, uh, taken care of. I don't think I've had the TV on except for the voice last night. Uh, and it's uh, and tonight is the finale finale. So we'll see who wins for those who follow the voice. But I, I would say uh, just just continue to see what's happening in, in, in robotics is exciting. Boston Dynamics is incredible and in how they continue to move their, their robots forward, truly based on modeling exactly what humans do, how their muscles work. And so when you see the robots, they move like humans because they're completely modeled after humans, you know, right down to the muscle. It's fascinating. So I, I you know, I tend to take in a lot of a lot of that stuff. And I would say this great article two days ago in the Wall Street Journal on GE, General Electric, who was the most valued company in the world a decade and a half ago or so, and somehow has watched its stock fall to whatever, $6, uh, through just a set of errors, a huge set of errors, including in its uh, in its finance unit, uh, GCC, and, and recognizing that some of its industrial units were really not making a profit on what they were selling. They were making some profit on service contracts and some other things. And anyway, I mean, this, this has got to be like six or eight pages, full pages in the Wall Street Journal. And they were recently thrown out of the Dow Industrial Average. So that is pretty interesting because it was considered the best managed company, uh, maybe in the history of all companies up till a decade or so ago when Jack Welch left or 15, 18 years ago. And then things just began to unravel little by little over two decades. And, and it's now become a disaster. Now they still look, they still have 300,000 employees and do 120 billion a year or something. So it's not a complete disaster, but cash flow wise, it's a mess. So I thought that was fascinating because it shows you how no matter where you are on top of the world and how big you are, you could get yourself in real trouble if you don't manage that bottom line carefully. Very interesting. And not just that, that was 20 years, but 20 years in the future is exponentially more time than it was in the past. So yeah. the, the companies that fall today, they don't fall in 20 years. They fall, they fall in two and a half years. That's right. That's right. Five, five years. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a rapidly accelerating and changing hey, world. Well, remarkable turnaround of Microsoft, who for a moment recently was the most valued company on earth again. Amazing turnaround where a decade ago we said Microsoft, you know, whether it was our father's technology company, it's kind of dead. It was heading to death. And they turned themselves around, became a major cloud provider, moved all of Office to the cloud. That's pretty much the only way you can use it now. And um, and continued to actually quite very much innovate in a variety of product areas. And now, uh, you know, the thing is worth a trillion dollars or, you know, roughly from time to time, uh, rivaling Apple. Apple was a great turnaround as well. Yeah, they, they are, but I think they're headed the other direction. I think Apple was Microsoft <laughs> 10 years ago. Well... Apple uh, has been uh, leveraging the iPhone as their big win for a decade now. A little bit like Office, right? Or Windows. And that is not coming to an end, but it's, you know, it's coming to flat sales. And it's getting harder and harder to get people to pony up every year or two. People are going to hang on to the devices a little longer because they pretty much do what they want them to do. And it's getting harder to come up with ways to get people to respend money. So they have got to come out with something that is absolutely breakthrough in some area. I think it'll be an AR and VR. I think we're going to see that. We're going to see more in health. And we'll ultimately see a driverless vehicle. I can say that because I see the Apple driverless vehicles because they're right down the street from my house here. And I know where they're located. And I see them come in and out. So 
even though it's a super top secret program, I see the vehicles, I can take pictures of them, so I know whose they are. So, you know, they clearly are trying to do something in the driverless space as well. And that's probably an obvious thing because when you've got a thousand dollar phone, you go, what else do people spend more than a thousand dollars on, you know, or, or a lot of money on on a regular basis, whether it's transport or whatever. See, but what fleet's going to buy an Apple one that's five years older with crappier technology than everyone else? Because that's essentially what Apple's business model is. Well, I, I don't see them standing a chance in driverless. I think AI, they're so far behind. Well, what happens if, um, so AR, they are further ahead than you think. No, not AR, AI. 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 <coughs> I mean, they might be 10th place, 10th place right now at best in, in the US. AI, they're behind, but they will buy if they need to with $200 billion in cash. The second thing is on, on driverless vehicles, there might be an literally an Apple fleet, and it's the Apple driverless service that you get into, that they don't sell those vehicles to someone else. It's literally their service. So, you know, you never know where it ends up. That program has been there and then sort of canceled and back. And I, I think they feel, I think, I don't know for sure, that they feel that, in fact, you know, someone's going to own, all the tech companies are getting involved in driverless because someone wants to own that time. That time with you, with you is valuable. Who knows how they're going to monetize it, but an hour in the morning, an hour at night, that's two hours with you is a valuable piece of time. Don't know what you do with it, but it's valuable. And Apple can't not play in that business. But I think that's the problem. When you play the games you can't not play, you're ultimately always a loser because sure. someone else is playing the game they should be playing. Well, and Waymo Jordan, is way ahead of everybody in technology. Exactly. For sure. By, well, by China, China is doing pretty well as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the driverless vehicle space in this country, anyway, Waymo's way ahead. And then, uh, you know, Jim Cruise. You, you, Jim Cruise, I've been up to Cruise. Those people are very smart. They've thrown a lot of money at it. They've got product working. Ford is coming along. Toyota finally doing some work. And a bunch of others. You know, Uber's technology has had its issues, as you know. But but everybody's going to have to play. Everyone's going to have to play. There's no choice or they won't be in business. They'll all have to play. But I think it'll be a network effect where someone owns most. And that someone's probably Waymo. It, uh, they are in the lead. But uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a great question. It's a great question because we don't know what direction they go. They've got 11, 1,200 cars or so. But, you know, they need to start placing an order for 50,000. You know, the numbers have to get really big to say, whoa, they are. Because right now they're an order of magnitude, but 1,000 versus 100 is a yawn. They need, to, they need to partner with someone because Google sucks at hardware. Yeah, well, they are not building their own cars right now, as you know. They're having them built for them. Or they'll buy an auto manufacturer, which Google could easily do, and make it just for them. Who knows? Who knows? It's going to be a fascinating time to see this all play out. It will be a fascinating time to see it all play out. I'm I'm super excited about it. I am not bullish on Apple at all. I'll say that again. Interesting. So don't invest today. Don't. In, I, I feel like they've dragged their customers through the through the mud long enough that, yeah. It's you have kind I have a I have a Mac Pro, right? A MacBook Pro. I don't have an iPhone, but what I see from the company is essentially they're innovating in the number of ways they can switch out the ports and get you to have to buy new dongles because that's where the high margins are. I know the twenty five dollar dongle. And see, everyone kind of laughs about it, like, yeah, I know, right? But they don't realize that they're the sucker. <laughs> And it is what it is. Yeah, it's a MacBook Pro. I had to get all new stuff to connect to it, right? And converters and adapters. And it was a big pain. But what are you going to do? By the way, I love my MacBook Pro. It's a it's a beautiful machine. No question. I like it too. But I think the only reason why I like it so much is the touchpad. The touchpad kills everything else. Yeah, that's true. But sure. yeah, it's, uh, it's it's interesting. We'll have, oh, they're trying to get rid of the Mac OS and just go straight to iOS for everything. Mm -hmm. Basically, mm -hmm. make, a, make a dummy laptop. But that's, right. a, that's another story. It'll be interesting to see. If you guys are interested in this, actually, disruptors.fm slash free, you can get my book on Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple and the future of where those companies are headed. Just add your email address. Excellent. But uh, yeah, that's been a, yeah, it's been an interesting conversation. Are there any topics you think that we should or need to cover? Oh, we could cover all kinds of things, disruptive technology in Silicon Valley and how you do that. Will Silicon Valley survive in this downturn that's coming, you know, whenever that is in the next year or two? There are a million topics. We will, we will never run out. That's the fun of being in Silicon Valley for the last 30 something years. Why do you think there's a downturn headed in the next two years? Well, because with every upturn, in fact, the longest one in history, there has to be a downturn. So first thing. The second thing is we've hit certain limits 
for now in terms of technology adoption. You know, we are seeing most of the technology revenues start to slow. Not reverse, but slow. We're seeing iPhone orders slow. We're seeing advertising spend slow. So we're not saying it's going backwards, but it's the, the rate of growth has slowed down. And those are usually early indicators that we're coming to the end of an upturn. Now, typically upturns last, you know, five to eight years and you get one to two years of downturn. So I don't know that it'll be another great recession or depression, but the market's probably overextended when, you know, when you're getting PE ratios the way they were, it's hard to support that historically. And with interest rates rising, that's another thing. People are finding alternative places to put their money, as you know. So uh, interest rates rising always also slows down, dramatically slow down home buying across the US just in the last six months. And that is probably a big driver of that as, as, uh, as interest rates rise from uh, you know under 3% to 5% for a mortgage that makes more homes unaffordable for more people. So, so all of this is, is going to come, I don't know that a crashing end, but it's slowing down. We're going to have to live with that. And, uh, and I think things will slow down in Silicon Valley and, and home prices will draw back by 10 or 20% a bit. It's still a landlocked area, so it's not, it's not going to be cheap to live here. But, you know, they tend to get overextended and pull back and they tend to get. And same with employees. You know, in Silicon Valley, if you want great people that maybe have five to 10 years experience and they're coders, I don't know, you know, Google will pay them over 200000 a year. Is that the right number when the rest of the country pays quarter of that or a third of that? I don't know. Is that sustainable? Probably not. But to live here, it costs that. And these people don't feel rich living on that. So, yeah, Google will pay them that. Facebook will pay them that. You know, so, so as a startup, as any company, you're going to have to compete with that. Silicon Valley. So a lot of companies are saying, we're going to build our engineering team elsewhere. We can't afford to do it in Silicon Valley. And the people don't stay. They invest a little bit of stock over a year or two. They jump to the next company. You know, all those things are drivers that say probably a little overextended, pull back a little bit, get the heat off, let the smoke thin out a little bit, and then things will look a little better. And, you know, when a few people are out of work, all of a sudden the prices come down. I would agree, but I think the Uber and Lyft IPOs coming up are going to stretch out the time frame longer. It, it could be. I mean, those are big, big, big IPOs. There's going to be a lot of money coming to a lot of employees. A lot of money coming to a lot of employees. And 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 it could uh, prop things up for a bit of time, for, for sure. Maybe get another X months out of that or maybe another year. But, you know, look, the overall value of Silicon Valley companies might be uh, somewhere between five and 10 trillion. So even, you know, even 60 to 100 billion really isn't moving that needle that much. In fact, overall, Silicon Valley companies probably move up and down plus or minus that much in a day, all up. Seven trillion plus or minus 100 billion happens all the time. So I, so I, I think, um, I don't know, it'll have a little impact, but, but we will see. Frankly, the biggest impact is the Fed raising rates. That has a huge impact on slowing an economy, and it is slowing the economy. All, all the numbers say that. So, you know, Fed raises rates, economy gets lower, president gets mad at the Fed. I get that. Hopefully they don't raise, I don't think they should raise rates anymore for a while. I think they could really crash the economy if they do. There's plenty of ways to crash the economy. They'll have to compete with our other friend to see who can pull it off. That's more, true. More that, quickly. That, that is true. You know, the tariff thing, uh, which you're referring to, Will, these things tend to work themselves out, too. It did work out with the NAFTA stuff. We'll see how it works with China. There, there needed to be some, I, I don't know if we need to be this aggressive, there needed to be some rethinking of tariffs across the board, because when we set up a lot of these agreements, we kind of got the short stick to help the other country. And so, you know, some quid pro quo is probably worth conversations. I'm not sure you know, we should take as hard of a line as we do because it's dangerous. But some conversation isn't a bad conversation to at least get started. You know where tariffs came from and why we got rid of them? You tell me. So back in, uh, you've heard the no taxation without representation thing. Mm -hmm. Why we decided. Well, essentially tariffs were the way that people paid for the government to be able to do anything. We right. didn't have income tax before the 40s or the 30, uh, 30s or 40s. I'm not positive on. Basically, they decided to get rid of the, tar the tariffs right. be because the tariffs were affecting lower class labor more than upper class labor because they have to live. Right. So people were like, wait, we should make this a little bit fairer and have an income tax system. So right. su suddenly people were taxed proportional to their income. Right. But it was a made up tax that never existed before. Mm. So now we kind of have both shitty systems. Right. Right. To, pro to prop up a government with too much paperwork. Well, That's a whole nother say, story. Some people say there should be a flat tax. Some people say there should be a tax on what you spend. You know, there, there's all, all kinds of ways to go after this. But no one says you should do both. And this is doing both. Do you catch oh, my drift? Look, 
I think there is value in free trade around the world if it was free in both directions. But we've had no tariffs on certain goods coming here where those same goods were tariffed back the other way. Well, that isn't fair either. You know, if, if it's free, it should be quid pro quo. It's free both directions. And um, a lot of these agreements we had signed a long time ago, again, too, because we felt bad for that other, at the time, third world country. So we said, um, well, it'll be free to send your stuff here, but you can charge for our goods going there because you have no money and you're not going to take any in anyway. It was nothing to give up, but things have changed. But fairness is a terrible paradigm because <laughs> it, all, it ultimately leads to communism. Because let's say we have we have enough raw material for mm. me to have a BMW and you to have a Ford. Or we have obviously enough material for you to have a Ford and me to have a Ford. Well, for us to be fair, we both have to have the shittier car. And that's kind of what people don't realize when they think about things always having to be equal. It always leads to the lowest common denominator. That is true. Life isn't about being equal or being fair. It's about optimizing um, for awesome. It's optimizing for awesome. Yeah, fa fairness is a paradox, I would say. Mm -hmm. but, but I do think that when you're trading something between countries, if you can send your cars here with no tariff or say 5%, then we should be able to send our cars there for 5% too. That's all. Whatever the number is, pick a number. It's It goes the same in both directions, not higher in one direction than the other. That really becomes unfair. And not that the same in each direction is fair either. It's just the closest we have to fair. We don't have any other system. If there's a tariff at all, or just have no tariffs anywhere in the world and the heck with it. Bingo. That's that's the way to go. But that's uh, well, other than certain countries that are- well, I, well, yeah. But then the problem is you got to adhere to the WTF rules. And the problem with that is that some countries don't. You let your currency float or you or the country subsidizes a particular industry, all of a sudden, now that's unfair because we can't possibly compete with a government that is subsidizing the cost of something to send it here. So this is where problems come in, right? Just like the, the Chinese government did subsidize solar manufacturers. It allowed solar to get really cheap, but it killed all the US manufacturers. Well, they wanted to win the industry and they subsidized them. By the way, maybe that's fair. Maybe we should have subsidized ours to compete, but we so, didn't. That's how venture capital works. Well, yes, it, sure it is. But but you understand the problem. I do, but I, I I can see the importance of the subsidizing. Yeah, it's uh it's something that's hard to solve with multiple multiple parties that really don't care about the other parties. That is for sure. That is for so what ended up is we got tariffs on solar coming in to allow U.S. manufacturers to make uh, solar panels here, but virtually none do because they were all wiped out by the years and years and years of, of China subsidizing its solar industry. And it's not illegal for them to subsidize it. It just became terribly unfair to, to the U.S. manufacturers. Well, you could just say life isn't fair. You know, petition the government for your own subsidies or, or forget it or get venture capital, whatever the case is, right? It's a hard question. If you need any, if you need any help, dude, with the toupee, we're here for yeah. you. We're, we're ready to rock. And we all know it's a toupee. Thanks for coming today, Kevin. This has been a ton of fun. If you had to leave people with one this thing. This is real, by the way. This is real. Yes. The this other is guy, as well. It's going away a little bit. Yeah. If you had to leave people with one thing, a quote. No, the toupee was certainly Trump, not you. I know. If, <laughs> to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action, what would it be and why? Oh, well, look, don't be afraid of AI. It's going to help us. It's going to bring more jobs and it's going to make your job a lot easier. Uh, that's that's what I like to leave people with because they've got in their mind, it's her and it's this and it's that. No, it's not going to be any of that. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. It's going to be helpful. We may have our a cook a robot cook in the kitchen in 10 years that they can cook and answer questions, and that's going to help our lives. The things we're going to be able to get out of this are going to be really, really spectacular at work and at, and at home. So don't be scared of it. It's really great. And uh, don't stay on Facebook too much. Yeah, get off Facebook, guys. And where's the, speaking of, where's the best place for people to find you? Oh, uh, I am on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn. And um, so my I, I tweet all the time. So you can find me on Twitter uh, under Case Race. And we'll throw links and all that good stuff in the show notes, guys. Disruptors.fm. Thanks, uh, thanks for doing this, Kevin. This was a lot of fun. Yes, a lot of fun. Great, great conversation. Thank you. And cheers, guys. If you want more of the Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to Disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.